Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. I've been asked to share on uh, the last of our um, series, The Usual Suspects. And there's the, uh, the picture there, The Usual Suspects. And right off to the side there, we've got the one I'm speaking about today, and that is Jacob. I've been asked to speak on Jacob. Yeah, and um, Jacob's a good guy. Well, he kind of isn't a good guy. He starts off a bit shady, but we'll get to that. So, yeah, I've been asked to speak about Jacob. And as I started to prepare for this message, um, I've been praying about it. I've been praying about his story, and I've been asking God to reveal to me and to us what we can learn from him. Jacob is referred to as one of the three patriarchs of Israel. Patriarch is like a father leader figure and he's recognised as not only the main patriarch but the one that Israel now takes their name of. So, so the, the, the city, the, uh, what do you call it? The nation, they're a nation. Well, Donald Trump says they're a nation. They're a nation and they, um, they took the name of Israel from their father. And so I've been praying that God would show me as I uh, explore uh, Genesis 25 through to kind of the mid-30s about Jacob and what we can learn. Today being Father's Day, I just thought it was particularly appropriate. And I'm going to be speaking around what we can learn about how he became this figure, because that's what we want. That's what we're here for, is we want to know from God how we can become more like him, but also influence our children, not just our you know, children that we have born of our own partnerships, but our, our children, in a sense, through the church, right? So that's, that's my intent in, in um, sharing this message is how, what we can learn about Jacob that we might be able to uh, be a godly blessing to our people. So the story of Jacob starts off um, with, with this lady called Rebecca. Now Rebecca's his mum and um, she's pregnant. And as she's pregnant, I can imagine she probably was maybe trying to sleep at night or something like that's happening. And she's aware that there is like a bit of a battle going on in her belly region, behind her belly button. What was that joke that, uh, that the boy said this morning? What does the policeman say to his navel? You're under a vest. You're under a vest. So under her vest... There's something going on like a war. I remember when Holly was pregnant and uh, I remember in the middle of the night her kind of waking up and, and just saying to me, Mark, I can't sleep. And I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, look at this. And, and kind of looked across to her belly and there's like feet and hands and it's all kind of like like a party in there. And it was Zoe. She was pushing this way and that and dancing around. You could see her kind of foot sticking out this way and then move across and she was busting to get out and that's why we called her Zoe because it means abundant life and she just had so much life 
that's what was going on in Rebecca. She's got this war going on. So she, she prays to God and says, what's going on? Where is Holly anyway? Ah, I just, it's good just to know where she is. She's watching me. So Rebecca cries out to God. She's like, what's going on, God? I feel like there's a battle in me. And he says, yeah. He says, you don't have one baby in there. There's two. And they're going to become two nations. Two separate nations. And the older will serve the younger. See, back in those days, generally the culture said that the older would be served. And so the father would generally take the older son aside when he was of age and they would give him two things. One is a birthright, which means that he would kind of get double what everyone else gets just because he was the firstborn. And then they'd also give him what's, what's called a blessing and they would pray a blessing over them and say that they want them to succeed, to lead, they ask God's richest blessing on them more than any of their other children. And this was the intent that um, Jacob's father would have had, that he was going to do that to his son. And as I was preparing this, I was kind of like thinking, and I've really felt God, before I get too much into the message, I felt God put on my heart to address that. Because it's interesting in that that was the culture that the oldest one was seen as better. But the interesting thing is that Isaac wasn't the firstborn, which was Jacob's father. And he was blessed by God more than anyone else. But Jacob ends up getting the same. And Jacob's son ends up getting... Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, he wasn't the firstborn. He was used by God. <clears throat> and then all through the Bible, we see these weird situations where it's not the way that God does things. So I don't know where this idea came from. But I felt really strong in my heart that it wasn't God's idea. And if there's people here this morning that believe that you're inferior because you're not the firstborn son. Maybe you're second, maybe you're the lastborn, and you've grown up believing that you're not quite as good, that you haven't somehow deserved the love of maybe people in your life. Maybe you were born a girl and you felt like... You're second because of that. I just felt to share that that's not God's idea. He didn't come up with that. And that's not how he treats us. That God loves all of his children. And he has a plan for us. And he doesn't see us less because of us being the firstborn son, second, third, Female, male, God loves you. God loves you. So I don't think that was God's idea. But nevertheless, that was the situation that Jacob was born into. So the next thing we see in this story 
is that there is a birth happening. And Rebecca, it's come to that day. And I remember that, that situation with me and my, my wife driving to the hospital and Drew was on the way and he was coming out before we were there. We're driving up the Callington Hill and Holly looks to me in terror and says, He's coming. <laughs> and she's got her foot up on the dash and she's trying to hold him in. And he was almost born in the car park. But that's what was happening with Rebecca. She's about to give birth. And of course, out pops Esau first with the big red hair. And they call him Esau means red. But then hot on his heels, he's, Esau's not even fully out yet. And we see Jacob holding onto his ankle, gritting his teeth and being like, oh, you beat me. You got out first and right from the start, Jacob had this attitude. He just desperately wanted to be the firstborn son. And Rebecca calls him Jacob. Jacob, the one who grabs the heel. Jacob means deceiver, supplanter. Trying to take what isn't his is what Jacob means. So he's born into this position that he didn't want. A little further in Genesis, we see the next point. And Esau has developed into a fine young man, loves hunting. And he's out in the wilderness. He comes home and he's famished. Anyone here has a teenage son? You know what it's like. They come home and nothing's safe. The fridge door, I'm hungry, you know, and there's ah, the food and they want it. They don't think about anything else until they've actually... And this is how Esau comes in. He comes in the tent, I could imagine, you know, walks in, I need something to eat now. And he can smell, you know, this stew that Jacob's cooking. Beautiful big stew, red soup, they say, it says in Genesis. Esau's like, give me some of the stew. I'm starving. I'm going to die. And Jacob says, nah, get your own stew. I've been cooking this. It's for me. Esau keeps saying, no, no, give me some stew. But Jacob's got a plan. He takes his advantage. He's been waiting for this moment. And he says, oh, okay, all right, all right. I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright. I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright. Esau's, yeah, whatever, whatever, I'm starving. And he sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. Little long, a little later, we see a similar situation. Rebecca overhears Isaac, Esau's father, telling him, Esau, I don't know if I've got many more years in these bones. I'm about to die. Now, we know he actually lives like for ages after this. But anyway, nevertheless, he thought he was going to die soon. 
So he says, Esau, look, I think I'm going to die. And I want to give you my blessing before I die. So can you go out hunting, get a young deer, cook the stew just the way I like it, and we'll share the meal and then I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm going to pray the Lord's favor over your life and that you will lead your brother, you will lead the family, you'll take your rightful place in, in our family and you'll take my role. So Esau leaves. Rebecca overhears this and she says, Quick, Jacob, now's your chance. You've got to dress up as your dad. We'll, we'll cook up a couple of young goats. You've got, sorry, dress up as your brother. And we're going to trick your dad into giving you the blessing, and they do it. He goes in there. He says, Dad, uh, I'm Esau, your son. And Jacob Jacob um, fools his father. Isaac believes him. I was reading a commentary about this, and um, the commentary was was from a guy called Rashi. And Rashi is, is rec- recognized as the probably one of the most important commentators on the Old Testament. Uh, he's a rabbi, and he's seen now as being yeah, probably one of the most important commentators uh, for the Jewish people. When they're training rabbis even today, they use his commentary. Now, he, he lived a thousand years ago. Anyway, I was reading his commentary on this scene. And he says that, that Jacob comes into his father and he says, Father, I've brought you the young deer and um, I, I, I'm desiring that you would bless me in the name of the Lord your God. And then something about the way that he speaks kind of like causes Isaac to be suspicious. And he says, it sounds like Jacob. Come closer. And then he he touches him and and Jacob had dressed up in his clothes and put the goat skins on on his wrists and the back of his neck so he seemed hairy like his brother. And so when his dad kind of goes over him and realizes, oh, no, no, this is Esau. He smells like Esau. He, he kind of looks like Esau now that he's closer and he feels like Esau and he gives him the blessing. But the commentator, Rashi, says the reason he was suspicious and said that he sounds like Jacob is because Jacob used a word for God that is like a familiar word. When he said, I want the blessing from the Lord your God, the word he used in Hebrew was a familiar word. It's a word for God that Esau never used. Esau never used. Jacob had a relationship with God that Esau didn't have. And we see that in his haste to give away his birthright for the stew. So my first point I want to make is if we want to be a blessing to our kids, if we want to be a blessing 
and, and fulfill what God's calling us to do, we need to have a heart for God. We need to seek God's blessing. We want to go after Him. I was praying about this. And I said, but God, like, the way He went about it is wrong. He deceived His brother. He deceived His father, God. Like, and God said, yes, the way He did it wasn't right. And I'm going to deal with him with that. But Mark, I love his heart. He wants me, Mark. He wants my blessing in his life. He's going after, he's seeking my face. So that's the first thing in our lives. We're imperfect. We're like Jacob. We're human. And when we go after God, sometimes we get it wrong. But God, he sees our heart. If we want to bless our kids, if we want to bless our families, let's go after God. Let's seek his face. Let's intend to get close to him. Let's know his name. So he's blessed. Isaac blesses him. And then Jacob realizes that Esau is going to kill him. Esau's not happy. So he runs away. He goes to see his uncle Laban. And when he gets there, he meets a lovely young lady called Rachel and he falls in love. <sighs> Who's ever been in love? He falls in love. And he, he loves this girl. He says to Laban, Laban. This girl, Rachel, I'll tell you what, she's something else. I want to marry that girl. And Laban says, yeah, okay, all right. You can, you can marry her. You just have to work for me for seven years. Seven years. And Jacob said, easy. You know, when you're in love, nothing seems too much. You do anything. You'll fight anyone. You'll cross the biggest ocean. You'll climb the biggest mountain. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no river wide enough. You know that song, you guys? Holly knows it. Keep me from you. You know the feeling of love? He's in love. He's in love and he works seven years without even breaking a sweat, and he gets married, and it's all going so good. And in the morning, he pulls back the sheets, and it's not Rachel. It's Rachel's sister, Leah, who he has married. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just for a second that you get married, and you look at your wife in the morning, and it's her sister, just imagine, some of you guys, if you're imagining and you're smiling and wishing that that happened, come and see me for counselling, okay? We'll, we'll work it out. But you should, that's not, a, it wasn't a good thing for Jacob. He was shocked. I didn't know if I was going to get away with that, but I kind of got away with that. So Jacob was shocked. 
And he says, he says to Laban, what's going on, Laban? Like, you, you said it was Rachel. That's who I loved. You've broken my heart. You've broken my trust. And Laban says, well, it's okay. It's okay. You know, um, I'll, I'll give you Rachel. You just have to work for me for another seven years. I was, as I was reading this, I was praying. And I was saying, God, like, what, what's going on here? Why, why is Jacob in this situation? You know, like he, yeah, I understood, like he deceived his brother. Terribly. His brother. Deceives his, bra- his father. His father didn't deserve that. His father was a good man pretends, fools him. But yet you promise to bless him. He goes on his way and then he gets this, God. Like what, what is this? Is this some kind of like karma? Like all of a sudden he starts getting deceived and deceived and deceived and Laban continually promises and breaks his promise, promises and breaks his promise. It's like he becomes, it's like as soon as he picks himself up, dusts himself off, boof, there's another roadblock. There's another roadblock. He's deceived again. He's let down again. I said, God, what is happening? Why is this happening? Is this justice or what's it about? And God, I felt God say to me, Mark, I want to bless him. And I'm honouring his prayers for blessing, and I've got something for him. But, but right now, like he's got a heart after me, but he's got some issues. And I'm trying to get his attention. I'm trying to help him to understand what he put his brother through, what he put his dad through. He's got this strategy of deception that he's outworking in his life, and he's trying to get what he wants through that and he needs to let it go mark i'm trying to get his attention and every time he runs into a roadblock i'm not wanting his pain or hurt i'm wanting him to let me change him and maybe you're in a similar situation maybe you're feeling like there's roadblock after roadblock that you just can't seem to get right and you're wondering, is God punishing me? Does God hate me? Well, I don't know this for sure, but I just want to ponder the question. Maybe if your life looks like a whole heap of roadblocks and accidents and crashes time after time, maybe there's some strategies that you've been employing in your life that God's just trying to get your attention. Maybe he's saying to you, hey, I want you to do life differently. I want you to own up to your mistakes. I want you to understand that you've hurt people. And I want you to let me do a work in you. So my second point is let God get your attention. If we're going to be the people that God is calling us to be, let him get 
your attention. And we see that Jacob does that. Jacob starts to change. After he's let down by Laban, let down by Laban, we see in Genesis that he says to Laban, I've worked for you for 20 years and you deceived me time and time again. You've changed my wages 10 times. You've taken things that belong to me and you've, you've, the sheep that I've raised, you've snuck them away, you've stolen everything that you can possibly do to get yourself lifted up and to push me down, you've done. But yet God has blessed me. So he gets the point. Jacob is moved by God and realizes that he's hurt his brother and decides, I need to move away from Laban and I need to be reconciled with my brother. And so he starts off on a journey to make things right. So my fourth, third point is, if we want to be moved by God, if we want to be used by God, we've got to face our fear. We've got to seek his heart. We've got to let him get our attention. We've got to let him change us. We've got to repent. But the next thing we've got to do is face our fear. We've got to be reunited. Sometimes to move forward, we've got to go back. We've got to deal with some stuff in our past. The really interesting thing about the story of Jacob is that, that God promises blessing on him, right? He rocks up at Laban's place with nothing but his, but his staff, he says. And then after Laban has tried to take everything off of him and deceived and tricked him, he still manages to walk away from that situation with so much blessing. But it's not just for him is to make things right with Esau. Because the first thing he does is he divides his flock up and he gives Esau a gift. And biblical scholars and experts say that it was the same amount as what was stolen when he stole his birthright. Because God doesn't just bless us for our good. He blesses us so that we can make things right, because that's just and fair. On our fridge at home, we've got a, um, a whole heap of photos, a bit like Matt and Julie's fridge with all the, the fun family stuff that they've got there. But we've also got um, our photos of our compassion kids. Our compassion children, one's in Africa and there's one in uh, the Philippines. And that's the thing about God's blessing. He has, he's blessed me and Holly. Like we've got food on the table, we've got clothes on our back, we're paying our house off, we've got two cars. But God hasn't just blessed us for our sake. He's blessed us because it's right and fair that we would use some of our money to make things right. Justice, fairness. These kids have got nothing. They've been stolen from their parents, used and abused. And so we give money every month to make things back, right? 
that's part of the way God works. And so that's the situation Jacob finds himself in. He's facing his fears and he's going to make things right. And my last point that I want to make is if we want to be who God's calling us to be, if we want to be a blessing on our families, get used to wrestling with God. Get used to wrestling with God. The last scene I'm going to talk about is Jacob on the bank of the river. Just to set the scene, he's divided up his flocks. He sent the gift forward. His wives and his kids are on the other side of the river. And he is alone. He's alone there. Now, he's quite worried about this meeting with Esau because last thing he knew about Esau is Esau wanted to kill him. And so he's, he's kind of worried. He goes to sleep on the bank of the river, kind of expecting that it could go bad. Esau could be on his way right now to kill him. Now, I, um, I love wrestling, and um, I've, I've watched a fair bit of it on the telly. And a couple of years ago, I thought, I need to kind of understand what this wrestling's all about. I kind of want to <coughs> know what it's like. So I signed up for um, Toa Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Mount Barker and started to go once a week down to Mount Barker to wrestle and I got a lot more than I bargained for. I remember I walked in there. Now, I've done a little bit of boxing before. I've done a little bit of Muay Thai, uh, Thai boxing. And that was one thing. But this was completely different. I walked in there. You know, you get introduced to the class. And, and the, the leader of it said, he said, look, this will be your sparring partner for today. And he ended up being my sparring partner quite a lot and um, his name was Charlie and he was about 19 quite a, a skinny guy probably almost half my weight very shy and just looked down and I thought oh gee I better go easy on this guy but I learned something about uh, wrestling that day and it's it is that it's not so much your size that matters. And, and with boxing, you kind of keep people at arm's length. You know, with boxing, it's like it's all out here kind of thing. And same with, with kickboxing. But wrestling is a lot more, let's say, intimate. It's like you breathe in each other's sweat. It's all up in each other's stuff. And I found it extremely confronting. Like I like my personal space and this was. And so I proceeded to get, see, see with, with jiu-jitsu, the idea is that you, you choke each other out until you can't breathe anymore. Okay. And so I got choked out by Charlie's elbow. 
I got choked out by his forearms. I got choked out by his armpits. I got choked out by his crutch. I know Charlie like I've known no man. There's a saying... There's a saying from the Matrix, and it says, you don't really know someone until you fight them. You don't really know someone until you fight them. People that have been in long-term relationships, it's true though, isn't that? That until you really contend with someone over something you both really hold dear and you're fighting about, you don't really know them. Until you really work out what's important to each other until you really have a fight with someone about something. You don't really know them. And there's something about fighting with someone who you love that stretches you and grows you and causes you to compromise. It makes us better. Fighting makes us better if we do it in the right way. Like the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. And this is a situation we find Jacob with. He's on the shore of this, of this river. He's, he's scared for his life. And then he sees a figure. And we can only assume that he probably thought it was Esau coming to kill him because he jumps on him and they begin to wrestle for their lives. And they're all up in each other's bodies and they're trying to kill each other. But as the sun starts to rise, Jacob realises it's not Esau, because he hadn't seen him for 20 years. But it dawns on him that it's not his brother. It's someone else. It's God in human flesh. He says that at the end. He says, I realise I've fought God and survived. It's God. A lot of scholars think it's probably Jesus. God in human flesh rocks up on the shore, probably there to comfort him, to protect him from his fears of his brother. That's what he promised. All through his life, he promised he was going to be with him. He was going to protect him. He was going to make him into a nation. So Jesus is there on the shore with him, and Jacob starts to fight him. And God had done a work in Jacob. He had started to melt, kind of mold him. He'd, he'd repented. He was on his way to, he was facing his fears on his way to restore things with his brother. But there's still some things left in Jacob. Then we see a glimpse of them. Because he's holding on to God for dear life. He's got him in a headlock. And he's saying, I won't let go of you until you bless me. The same attitude he had at the start when he deceived his brother. I won't give you this stew until you bless me. Same as he said to his dad, I'm, I'm going to deceive you to bless me. And he's got God in a headlock. And he doesn't realize. He doesn't need to fight about this because he's fighting for something God's already given him. But he's at his place when he's fighting and he's 
saying, bless me. But he didn't know that God had him right where he wanted him. And he says, I am going to bless you. I am going to bless you. You know, all that stuff that's been spoken over you, your less, your second, your Jacob, your deceiver, your supplanter, you're not that anymore. You're Israel. You're victorious. You've wrestled with God and won. And he gives him a new name and he speaks something new over him. And that's what we've got to let God do in our lives. You're less, you're second, you're worse. Your dad doesn't love you. God says, that's not your name anymore. That's not your name anymore. I love you. I care for you. You're my favorite. You're Israel. You're a great nation. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're victorious. You're not a loser. And the thing about this situation is God lets him win. God lets him win. God doesn't have to lose. God doesn't have to bargain. There's a glimmer in his eye as he's saying, I won't let go until you bless me. And he says, you're victorious. You've battled God and you've won. And that's one of the reasons why I think it was Jesus, because it's so like Jesus to do that. It's so like him. To, it's his style. It's completely Jesus' fighting style. You know, with boxing, I've studied boxing a lot. And you get to know fighters by their style, right? I love Mike Tyson's style. He's a short fighter. Quite often, people would say that he's disadvantaged. But the way he comes in... And he slips those punches and he gives two big hooks to the body. And when they drop their hands, he gives a beautiful uppercut and it's game over. Muhammad Ali is fancy. He stands back and he fights with his jab. Fantastic style. Floyd Mayweather, most decorated boxing in all the history, never lost a fight. He does the shoulder roll. Very famous. He's made that famous that he comes back and he glances off and then he comes through with his right. Fantastic technique. That's his style. But this is Jesus' style. To lose that we might win. We know he does that. Because he came to earth just like he did on the bank to protect, to be there for us, to support us. And we attacked him. We nailed him to a cross and he let us win for our good. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Let's stand. Father, I just pray and thank you for your heart. Lord, I thank you for your fighting style, that you lose that we might win. God, we just want to take advantage of that this morning. We want to be all that you're calling us to be. 
God, we want to seek your heart. We don't want to just give away our blessing for a bowl of stew, for a career, for a car, for a girlfriend or a boyfriend. God, we want to seek you first. God, when we run into roadblocks in our lives, we want to realize, God, maybe you're trying to get our attention. We're going to incline our ear to you. Show us, Father, our strategies that are not your strategies, that we might drop them like a hot rock and pick up what you have for us. God, help us to face our fear because you have not given us a spirit of fear. Help us to face the giants in our lives knowing that you are behind us and before us and with us. God, help us to wrestle with you, to be real with you, to not be scared of you and hold back, but with the fear of the Lord and the respect that you deserve, fight and get to know you and wrestle with you and accept that you have lost for our victory. God, we receive that now. We receive that we are called Israel, not Jacob. That we are victorious through you and your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.